0: Hi, and welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about uh, addiction and learned connections. And we'll explain what that means. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can solve addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. Okay, Learned Connections is actually a chapter in our book. It's chapter six. And what it refers to is the connection between um, mental health and emotional problems and heavy substance use. And there's a very popular theory today that, that people become addicted because they're caused to use by their mental health issues.
1: Right. And so one of the things that we have is uh, uh, another chapter called uh, Causes Versus Reasons, and in causes versus reasons, we discuss the the idea that no use, no substance use, is caused. And uh, you're not you're not um, pushed or compelled to use uh, by some other thing, or uh, like like stress or or whatever. You're not triggered, right? And uh, uh, but rather. You have personal internal reasons for using right reasons comes from reasoning now we've talked about this before but we really want to hone in on on this so learned connections is um, this idea that takes the causal argument that you you're caused to use by by uh really normal issues uh that we in a lot of cases we call them mental illnesses yeah uh you know stress is now stress disorder anxiety disorder um i don't think it's a disorder to be anxious i don't think it's even a disorder to be chronically anxious i think that that's uh a way of thinking we used to call those
0: people worry warts yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and there's always going to be a label for it but the truth of the matter is is it's just you know a normal part of being human and some people worry more than others yeah you know, absolutely they learn to to worry um, so uh, I used to worry a lot I used Me to have too. massive anxiety you know um, and did I use it did I use uh Anxiety and stress as an excuse to drink and drug. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, sometimes. But I think the operative word there is excuse. And people <laughs> say I'm being dismissive and mean and unthinking and callous and cruel when I say that I use uh, or that somebody else uses that as an excuse to get drunk and high. But I'm just being truthful because I'm not politically correct. And I really don't care about people's feelings in that way because I'd rather deal with the truth. The truth is we use a lot of human ills and human struggle as an excuse to stick needles in our arms and... and, uh, Drink copious amounts of vodka? Yeah, and then we pay a bunch of quote-unquote professionals to fix us, to deal with these issues that we have so that we don't drink and drug ourselves to death. And, I, you know, I don't know how much... Uh, of that would be necessary if we just accepted the fact that there's a certain amount of this kind of stuff in our life. And uh, in that, first of all, we don't have to drink and drug over it, we can use it as an excuse or a reason. But we don't have to be triggered into behaving in a certain way, especially the use of drugs. Um, That's just a bunch of nonsense that we're taught in our culture.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the real danger of this theory and and what we're seeing happening today and what happened to me personally when I was 20 years old I was a heavy substance user and I also had a lot of emotional problems Um, I got a bipolar diagnosis before that was vogue it was 1988 and I was told that I had to resolve that I had that I was drinking because of my bipolar but my bipolar made it worse and I had to resolve my drinking before the bipolar could be resolved. But how is that possible? If how can I resolve my drinking if it's caused by my mental illness?
1: Or yeah, and even I, further that that is not even caused by mental illness, but regular human ills.
0: Well, Well, exactly. And you know, my life was incredibly stressful. I really was struggling in college. I was struggling in my home life. There was a lot of problems. I had a lot of problems going on. And to be told, you know, you get stuck in this kind of circular argument basically um, is, is really problematic. And so what we're seeing now is we're seeing more people with substance use problems be diagnosed and medicated and they get stuck in this circular thing where they're where they're, uh, you know, they believe their mental health issues or emotional problems are causing heavy use. And then they believe they have to resolve those emotional problems prior to resolving their, their, you know, alcohol and drug problems. But how are you supposed to do that if you believe it's causal?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's no way out. There's no way out. And, and that's, that's where the subtle trick of the treatment industry comes in, and that is since you are powerless and it's a causal relationship, which it's not, right. uh, but once you believe that you're caused to behave, you're caused, you're compelled to behave in a certain way, then if a third party, meaning this compulsion, takes you over, uh, then you need a third party, almost like an arbiter, <laughs> to deal with the issue, and that would be a therapist, a professional, to come in and give you the the perfect combination of recovery activities mm-hmm. to stave off the learned connection. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre, but it's only bizarre when you start to look at it in this very fine detailed way, and you start saying, "Wait a minute, none of this makes sense." Yep. You know why? What is it about the words of a professional, quote unquote, uh, that is the right thing and the right advice and the right recovery recipe that that can make it so that this causal situation doesn't exist anymore. and And that's the confusion that people feel when they go to treatment and it doesn't seem to work. They're sitting there going and talking to their sponsor they're going over their traumas they' they uh, Dr. G- Gabor mate is is the absolute mm. henchman of this theory now saying that even if you had a great childhood there's something deeply in some embedded. hidden trauma that's
0: so, causing your addiction
1: yeah it's 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 insidious this is such insidious uh, lies um, here's here's the problem though and I always want to say this. If you believe it, it it's becomes true. true, right? You will you will literally uh, create a causal uh, arrangement between life's typical difficulties, and there are many, right? I mean, life is a shitstorm. It's hard it being sure human is. at times, um, and if you have a preference for getting high, the two are going to be married together with this theory. And boy, do you have a volatile mix so perpetuating or pushing this agenda does nothing to engender success in people it certainly doesn't engender getting over the original problem of anxiety stress and or depression it doesn't do anything for that Uh, and so um, and it certainly doesn't do anything to stop you from sticking needles in your arms or drinking booze or whatever Um, what it does is it complicates everything yeah you, you already have a situation in your life that maybe is, has you enormously depressed, feeling hopeless, uh, feeling crushed, maybe grief. Maybe you, you have a grief issue with somebody dying or leaving you or a bad marriage or uh, the loss of a career or whatever, health problems, legal trouble. I mean these are all human ills, and that has you anxious, sad, stressed, and then you want to pile onto it that the solution is alcohol and drugs – Mm-hmm. And then they tell you that not only is it your solution, but now you have to get rid of your solution. And the only way to do that is by paying a therapist, getting a third party involved in this mix. And then they tell you how to behave when they're not even inside you. I mean, try, try to think about that. They're not in your mind. They don't know really what you've gone through, only what you're going to tell them. And half the time you're too damn uh, embarrassed to tell them the truth. Right. So so the whole thing is a, is a, is a sham. It's just a sham. And then... And then you drink again. Or you go on what a bender. And then they say, Well, you've failed. You've relapsed back into your disease. Yep. And yep. and you feel even more hopeless. It's 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 a charade, folks.
0: Yeah. How many people listening have uh have gone down this path with a therapist and they, they tell you Okay, you're 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 self medicating uh, with alcohol and drugs. Here, we're going to give you this medicine, this antidepressant, this anti anxiety medication, um, a medication. So now you're not going to need to self medicate anymore. How many people have gone down that path to only to find themselves taking the medication they were given and also still. Drinking heavily or using the other drug, their drug of choice, heavily, um, even after supposedly they're resolving their their emotional problems. Well, that's nearly everyone, because if you get right down to it, the reason there are you have reasons for your substance use. Here's some evidence. Okay, here's how we know it's absolutely not causal. There are more than forty million people in the United States with a diagnosed mental illness. And only about 8 million have substance use disorder and co-occurring, those co-occurring disorders, right? So wouldn't it stand to reason if it was causal, then all 40 million people with mental illness would also
1: have substance use disorder? That's right. Because causal means it's unavoidable. Right. It's beyond your uh, volition. It's beyond your choice. It's beyond your behavior. It just happens. Yeah, It's a lit match to gasoline vapors it explodes every time right uh, and so causal can't you can't say something is causing you to behave in a certain way and then at other times not behave that way right it, it, it doesn't work in in a gray area it's not like that it's black and white it's on or off it's, it's either yes or no um so it's a uh, but they want it both ways yeah, that, you know that—that's the thing. They want it both ways, and I can't stand when a professional will say something like, "Oh, it's—it's it's a metaphorical disease, Mark." You know, what, I mean, that's <laughs> what such a that? it's such a cop out.
0: Well, it, and it's and it's, it's insulting. Bullshit. It's bullshit. It's totally insulting. You know. You know,
1: I grew up. The reason that this chapter was uh, sort of my chapter was in the book is because when I was a kid, my mom first of all she had an affair and and, and left and uh, the kids and and married my stepdad who was in an AA and which was fine i i mean i don't judge any of that to be honest with you it's she needed to be happy too but the thing that was difficult was she got really really deeply deeply heavily involved in the uh the cult yeah, and the cult and self help yep. she was in the self help sort of movement of the 70s and if any of you grew up then it was uh, it was weird land okay <laughs> i mean it was weird it land was. It, it, you know <clears throat> and so every week she would she would be anytime i did see her there was a massive guilt trip about how absolutely screwed up i was from the divorce so she was taking her oh her guilt and then imposing her view and guilt upon her children. And I was the youngest, so it was deeply embedded into me that that uh, somehow the divorce had affected me. Now, mm-hmm. it did. It did affect me. My mom was gone. But the truth of the matter is is I, I adjusted. But every single time I saw my mother, there was some sort of therapy or some sort of uh, angle or some conversation in the car about how fucked up I was over all this. And I was thinking... I was a kid, and, and all it did was make me feel horrendous. I yeah. felt, and I did, I started to feel as if I was the fault of uh, the reason for the divorce. It's and, the playground effect. Yeah, uh, and so she projected her own guilt so deeply on the kids that it made us hate her. It made us absolutely dislike our own mother, and, she, and then her guilt would get thicker, And then she would do more blaming and more therapy. And now we're seeing therapists for all these supposed disorders that we had. Then then you add in at 12 that I start boozing it up. And the whole co-occurring disorder thing became cemented inside of me, into my psyche, that every time I drank I had to feel guilty. And then with the guilt I would drink more. And, And do you see the trap? Do you yeah. see how deeply embedded it was. Then I got involved in cults, religious cults, and AA is a cult. And by nineteen, by eighteen, I was, you know, there sitting on her bed with with a gun in my mouth. Um, I mean, it, it was there was no answer there. So when when I'm telling this story, I want people out there to know that if you've been in endless therapy, endless recovery, and you're cycling through this misery, this misery pit. It's, it's really not your fault. You've been given an absolute sham of yeah. information, just the wrong information. So, so you can move on from all of it. And when I bumped into Michelle's dad, he was like, wow. When he heard my story, he's like, Jesus, Mark, you know, why don't you just stop going to the therapy, forget the treatment, <laughs> you know, get the hell, you're, you're just a screwed up kid, but, but would you like to be happier? And I was starving. For somebody to come along and say, you're normal, go live your life and just just enjoy it. And there was a movie, um, God, what was it called um, Goodwill Hunting At the end when Matt Damon drives away in search of his girl that my life was like that when I met Jared it was like, okay, I have permission now to leave all that self-help horse shit behind and I can just go out and be happy. And he's like, yep, go. That's so ironic. Yeah,
0: it's it's ironic because because what he got from my dad, I got the opposite. She got my mother. I that's it. Dad went through the whole. I had you should have seen the books he had me reading when I was like ten years old. (laughs) These self help books, and he had me reading read what was that book? Uh,
1: Dianetics. Dianetics,
0: (laughs) which was that was like what what's that cult? Scientology. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah everybody goes through cult phases apparently right um so yeah I had a similar childhood um where but I was from a very young age I had weird OCD tendencies and ADD and all kinds of you know labels thrust upon me and and I was just I always felt broken from as long young as I can remember I felt broken so so you get this whole mental health diagnosis and you couple it with this idea that you also have you know a predisposition for addiction and it's a recipe for disaster you know the my prognosis when I was 20 was terrible they're like oh this girl this girl is she's she's a wreck (laughs) You know, and you, you internalize that. Yeah. You believe it, yeah. and um, so it was. It was pretty ironic that that when I, you know, stopped drinking and I kind of became part of the little group that was you know, that my dad was studying, and I didn't know that that's what was going on. And, and I heard that he had said to people that they weren't broken, they weren't damaged, and they could be okay. Um And people were, you know, relating that to me, I was very, very skeptical, because I, I had the psychology background in school. And um I was, I just, but I was curious.
1: Yeah, I think that your dad had just turned the corner himself in abandoning all his, of that yeah through his research all the all the nonsense and had figured out the framework of the freedom model way back then back in 88
0: yeah if we just tell people they're okay they'll be okay now what happened what's interesting to know is what happened was my grandfather my dad's dad um, was a world war ii veteran and had legitimately definitely had um shell shock he was in France during World War II. If you haven't seen any of the movies, it was pretty wretched. Um, he never talked about it. But he also had a heavy drinking problem. And and I think that that was, you know, he was in and out of VA hospitals. And all they had to offer him was AA.
1: And so they were connecting yep. his PTSD to drinking.
0: To drinking. And, you know, he had, to, he had to face his demons. And you're only as sick as your secrets and all of those things. Well, I think that was...
1: It broke him. It
0: broke him completely. And and while he spent some time abstinent when he was taking care of us when I was young, when my dad was drinking heavy, um, he never went to AA. He was abstinent for four years. Um, but then when we moved away, he started drinking heavily again. And by the time I was 18, he had died in DTs. Um, and I think that that's when my father started to think, all of this is wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, I know for a fact that had to be about a year or maybe two years before I met him. It was where, from what he told me, that is where he said, you know what, something's not right. I took him to McPikes five different times. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He was taking him to rehabs continuously. And he keeps getting worse and worse. And then he died in that apartment and that broke the camel's back. Yeah. You know, he said, I have to figure out what the hell is going on here. It doesn't make any sense. And, uh. So, um, yeah, I think he abandoned – well, certainly when he met me, the AA paradigm was not the foremost on his mind. Ironically, we got heavily involved in AA after that simply because that's all there was. And we were trying to figure out what role it played in this whole self-help thing. and. And we spent the next 12 years dismantling the whole damn model piece by piece by piece. And we f- and it was a wonderful experience, incredibly painful and hard. Um, That's for sure. You know, it was not fun having the cult of AA come after us and try and destroy our lives and slander us publicly and all that kind of stuff that goes th- through the process of a paradigm shift. But, but we had to live through that, you know, and it was a good experience because we realized – Holy cow, this AA thing is absolutely 100% false and is a cult. Yep. And if you go against it, your life will be they will try to destroy you. Um and now we can tell people that so they can avert that whole path for themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing, getting back to, you know, connecting, you know, mental health issues. Trauma, stress, emotional problems, anxiety, and depression. A lot of people uh, will tell me they're, you know, the depression is causing their heavy drinking, um, and I'll say, "Really? Do you feel happier when you drink?" They're like, "No, I'm, God, I'm, cr- I'm all alone in a hotel room, crying my eyes out," and I'm like, "Well, then clearly it's not helpful to you. You're not self." medicating at that point right um but they they still will have this cognitive dissonance they'll they'll still believe well i'm doing this to self-medicate but in reality um it's not working and so sometimes that's all you need is for somebody to point out to you is it working
1: for you yeah yeah it really here's the deal it's really okay to let go of any structure or any therapy or anything like that that isn't gaining you happiness. Right. If it's not gaining you there's no reason to relive the horrors of the past. If somebody's telling you it's catharsis to relive rapes and beatings and abuse and painful losses of career and all of that I I think living through it is enough. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean my god. You know, now I think there's a process called grief That, um, that happens naturally. I was just talking to somebody, uh, yesterday here at the retreat in class and we're having our private class and they said, you know, how do you get over grief? And I said, time.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: You're going to cry. And he, and he said, you know, when, when this person died, that was very close to them. They said, you know, I, I've, I think I've only cried twice and I, I just don't know how to deal with that. And I said, sounds to me like you deal with it. I mean, your body, your mind, you will decompress exactly as you need to. It doesn't require a professional. It doesn't require any of that. It requires you just absorbing the pain and moving on with your life as you see fit. And when you lose a child or something like that, it can be incredibly painful. And maybe you're not whole the rest of your life, but you do move on. Yeah, you do. You know, time does heal most of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not so sure that this whole therapy thing is really all that productive. And we know from the research that most of the catharsis theory has been proven to be harmful. In other words, reliving past pain, uh, re-energizes the pain and makes it your present, which there's no logical reason to do that. Nope. Time exists to heal us. Yeah. You know, so, and certainly getting shithouse drunk, and and doing drugs as an excuse uh, isn't going to be very productive either.
0: Yeah, it's it's a process. Grieving is a process, and it it definitely um, becomes. Sometimes it has to become a little bit of a part of you. It becomes part of your your history. But any good therapy to help you deal with some kind of you know traumatic loss or or some kind of trauma in your life the goal of it should be to file it away as part of your past as something that that happened to you it's an experience that you can that you can help somebody else with in the future maybe um you know once you've gotten through it but it
1: the the goal is to file it in the past where it belongs well that's that's it the the goal is not for an event in your life no matter how painful to define you right you know i've had near uh total psychological breakdowns where i had uh i was there was so much pressure and pain in my life that i actually had audible and visual hallucinations i've gone through night terrors, spells of night terrors that were months long i was anorexic for uh, a period when i was 10 years old i i obsessed on food Um, And then I had a drinking problem. I had all these weird things that were happening to me, but it was my way of adjusting to a world that was totally and completely out of my control and was extremely painful. And, and, but I got through it, you know, and I'm not, and to be honest with you, the therapy that I went to wasn't that helpful. It really wasn't. I just had to come to grips with the fact that, um, here's what happened. I, met some kids I started I basically fought my way into literally physically fought my way into popularity with these tough kids and and then we partied and I moved on with my life and then when the partying came to a crescendo when I was 18 and I was having withdrawal and that part of my then I went to the next stage of my life and I learned through time that you really can get through a boatload of bad stuff yeah you sure can <laughs> you know and you can move on and be okay you really can be okay i just want people to know when they're hearing this that i've experienced just about every type of abuse that is a general classification in any met you know mental health diagnostic manual i've i've had virtually all of it um and and i'm okay you know yeah. and i don't have a drinking problem and today i i drink moderately and and have for 10 years um completely without a hitch. And Michelle does too, and she yep. had a horrendous background as well. And Stephen does too, and he had a horrendous background as well. You know, so and I know thousands now, tens of thousands of people with all varied stories yeah. that have moved on.
0: Yeah, that have had you know from people who have had very short, you know, relatively short substance use, uh, heavy substance use careers like Mark and I is relatively short to people like we've helped people that had 40 year drinking problems you yep. know who yep. had terrible uh you know caused terrible trauma to themselves look at you don't have to these things aren't tied together they're not causal there is that and even now some researchers are saying or showing that this whole self-medication hypothesis is problematic because it's not true the data doesn't support it and it ties people into this infinite loop where they can't get out of it.
1: Yeah, we're creating another level of problem out of thin goddamn air.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It, look, it, it sounds it's it's it sounds sexy.
1: It sounds like it's real. It sounds scientific and very psychological.
0: Yeah, but it's just not ultimately um, people have control they always have control of their behavior and ultimately people are resilient yes They're absolutely resilient. absolutely if you look at it, the problems that we have the mental health problems by and large uh the substance use problems that we have in this country uh for a relatively wealthy
1: country are are, are far and away above third world countries. Yeah, if you look statistically, that's true. The happiness uh, scales of countries when when polled, uh, we rank somewhere anywhere between 14th and about 8th out of the countries. We should be, by all accounts, considering how much time and affluence we have right at the top, but we're not because we simply manufacture problems because we have time and money and we have an industry that preys on your time and your money. Yeah. And you have time to ruminate on bullshit. Um, and we've been taught to be weak, triggered, fragile, pathetic people, and it's wrong. It's yeah. absolutely wrong. It's factually incorrect, but we're creating it and we're making it our reality as a culture. And then we're tying it to substance use, which fuels the the entire charade, um, it we're fueling an entire generation of kids right to a cliff with God. medications that are unnecessary, with health diagnose or mental health diagnoses that are completely bunk, um, and we're teaching kids that every mental hurt and difficulty right. they, they is somehow a disorder.
0: Yeah, that they shouldn't be unhappy even for a minute right even for a minute and if you if you watch these pharmaceutical commercials that want to sell you drugs uh for depression and anxiety um it's really remarkable the way that they really if you listen to them they loop everybody in everybody qualifies
1: oh yeah oh yeah i I hear the commercials every day um but we'll, we'll save that for another another podcast um so, so I think we've hit this succinctly. I don't want to. I don't want to divert from the topic. So, you're not caused to behave in any way. You're not compelled. There's no uh, trigger that forces you. There's no third party that can save you. There's no therapist that has the right words of wisdom for you. It's just you deciding to move forward in your life, and you're either going to move forward, swing the bat at life, or you're not. Now, the other thing is, if you have any questions about what we're talking about, like I said, we have the Learned Connections chapter in the Freedom Model for Addictions, and if you want, and there's other chapters, causes versus reasons, and then uh, self-image chapters, three of them, there's a whole bunch of information in there about what we're talking about and the research that backs up what we're saying. So if you want a free copy of that, go to thefreedommodel.org, that's the freedommodel.org and use coupon code FREEDOM100 that's FREEDOM100 one word at checkout and you can get your digital free copy of the Freedom Model for Addictions um, or Freedom Model for the Family.
0: I want you I'm going to leave you with an image okay I want you to imagine um, that you're, if you have, you know, if you have the mental health and emotional problems and you have substance use problem, right? I want you to imagine it's a giant rubber band ball. And what, you, what do we know about rubber band balls? They appear to be connected, but really they're not. And so the goal of the freedom model is to help you to take that apart and deal with each issue individually. Your substance use is completely separate from your emotional problems. It's not connected. It doesn't have to be. And you can absolutely solve your substance use problem regardless of what happens with your mental health problem. Um, And so thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org and SoberForever.net. SoberForever.net provides detailed information about our residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat. Uh, the TheFreedomModel.org is our hub and it has a ton of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, free eBooks, which Mark told you about, and information about our at-home private instruction program. Um, Also, you can follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We have three Facebook groups. They are private groups. So even if you join, nobody's going to see what you post in there unless they're in the group also. Um, They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well.
1: All right everybody and if you need detox you oh, go yes. we recommend Gallus Detox that's G as in girl A L L U S like United States detox.com that's gallusdetox.com give them a call if you need detox take care